Chapter One, Part One of Almond Blossom. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Almond Blossom by Olive Wadsley. Chapter One, Part One. It is something to have smelt the mystic rose, although it break and leave the thorny rods. It is something to have hungered once as those must hunger who have ate the bread of gods. G. K. Chesterton When he had quite finished breakfast, which he ate contentedly, and did not compare disparagingly with the set meal he would have had at home, but instead drank the really excellent coffee and consumed rolls and confiture in large quantities, Rexford strolled out from under the shade of the pink and white-tasseled awning and surveyed the day. It was a day worthy of observation, a golden and blue day, a day of crystalline clearness and etched shadows. So white was the sunshine, a day unquestionably in Rexford's opinion, in which to do something. Days generally meant that to him, especially in a town where the doing consisted in getting out of it, and if Pago was not exactly a town, it was a place of streets and as such meet to be left. Rexford lit a cigarette from a tiny lighter, and, true to type, looked round for a dog, and in looking round, had an instant's vision of the courtyard of his own place, with the kennel man grooming one of the terriers, preferably Nick, as Nick was Rexford's best beloved, still visioning Nick's amber eyes and exactly right coat and build. Rexford strolled back into the hotel and up to his wife's room he walked with that very light swing of the shoulders and even slighter looseness of gait which is so sure a betrayal of an athlete and as he waited for a moment after his knock he loomed very large indeed against the white-painted narrow door francesca was drinking her chocolate in bed reading rexford's letters for him and planning his day he kissed her hair which was enchanting and tied back like a little girl's with a big ribbon bow let himself down carefully into a frail wicker chair which groaned at him stretched smiled at francesca and said well what about it he had made just that same remark every morning during the tour and francesca had always met his need by letting him drive her to the place she thought he would like best where he could either swim or fish or shoot or at least watch others engaged in some relatively arduous sport those friends of francesca who delighted to lay claim to that disturbing oddness known as perfect frankness the last characteristic which should deserve this celestial qualification having regard to its effect on those who unwillingly receive its benefit often told her she managed tony francesca used to listen to them and smile and relate their comment to tony and laugh tony laughed the louder in point of fact francesca loved her husband she had fallen in love with him at once and though she was quite aware that he was perhaps not very quick and that many people thought him heavy whilst she agreed with them she liked his heaviness just as she liked his fair hair well watered down in the morning and before dinner but apt to become less sleek towards mid-afternoon just as she liked his blue eyes and obstinate boyish mouth and his whole air of strength and bigness this morning in the filtered light of her room he looked bigger than ever in his thin white suit there was a knock at the door and miguel the waiter 
came in holding an armful of yellow roses and beaming widely he broke into a torrent of speech descriptive of his own prowess in obtaining the flowers their beauty and the beauty of the noble excellentissima his wife and of the generosity of the excellency himself rexford lifted an eyebrow handed the man five pesetas and said give him here will you thanks he held out the roses to francesca i was afraid i mightn't get the right ones yellow you know of course others wouldn't have been the same he rose and sat down on the bed beside her and they both laughed he slid an arm round her tragedy if that comic opera little chap hadn't been able to get em wouldn't it have been darling to-day of all days his wife put up a white arm drew down his head and kissed him you have the loveliest ideas tony she said very gently keeping his face to hers rexford beamed oh i don't know he said in the happy voice of the really assured but getting married to any one like you takes a bit of forgetting darling you know i say fay i can remember to-day how damn nervous i felt waiting for you to come up the aisle it seemed an age i can tell you and when you did come you looked such a little kid you made me feel shy almost frightened of you as if i'd no right to have you at all he sat up and lit a cigarette and gave it to francesca and added lighting his own you know darling it seems pretty good to me to sit like this with you as good as ten years ago in one way i say you seem pretty silent old lady anything up francesca gave a shaky little laugh nothing parol donner but you must allow a wife to be touched by such an offering on the tenth anniversary of her wedding-day some husbands my dear instead of buying golden roses are scanning their pass-books to see if they can afford a divorce by that time rexford laughed only the wrong sort old girl question of a sense of values or no sense rather in the beginning he rose and straightened his tie before the mirror i don't want to brag about my brilliance fay you know but you'll own i knew a good thing when i saw it he strolled back to the bed and stood smiling down at her if you were thinking of getting up darling at once call matilda for me will you as you go out her door's the next but one on the right but tony just a minute come here he turned back no he rur he rest then he stood beside her again a little mystified she held out a hand to him kneel down darling you're so far away and don't look so frightened no one is going to do anything to you tony yes old girl what is it his puzzled eyes met hers unwaveringly she drew his head suddenly close against her shoulder tony you have been so endlessly dear you say you have said this morning things which have reached my heart and in a way hurt it no don't move i don't mean to hurt in one sense it was your last remark about values oh darling have you had such a return don't you ever regret ever think it's rather rather hard luck when charles comes with the boys rexford forced up his head from under her restraining hand now look here he said strongly i do not never have thought as you call it or regretted i took you hunting that time we both believed it was all right and the most tremendous bit of luck of all my life was when the doctors told me you'd live after the accident listen to me fay and believe this 
a man doesn't care a damn about anything but his wife when it's her life or anyone else's in the question the choice is certain inevitable you simply don't choose it's a fact a part of life because she's a part of your own life as for charles and the boys i don't know i've ever seen a boy much more of a sport than young charles and if you labor under the delusion that i spend my life longing for the unattainable it may interest you to learn old girl that i scarcely ever think of it he rose picked up her white silk peignoir and held it out she slipped into it and he stood for a moment holding her soul in his arms then he released her all right now absolutely he tightened his hold of her laughing down at her nothing but a baby sometimes are you what get a move on with your dressing now won't you i'm off to buy some of those native cigarettes as an experiment they're like young cigars and pretty strong i should think francesca heard him go downstairs pause for a moment in the hall then from the window she watched him stroll down the uneven little street darling darling liar she whispered and to himself rexford was saying i did that thundering well she never had the faintest notion i was bluffing and Faye's absolutely one of the best it's simply rough luck on us that's all and it's no good grousing young charles will do the place credit that's a comfort he thought as he walked along that spain seemed a country of which babies appeared to approve they swarmed on every doorstep each dusty gutter was someone's royal kingdom a child toddled up to him skilled already at the ripe age of three or four in the art of appeal and begged urgently rexford burst out laughing gave the baby a peseta and listened to a fluent flow of thanks but other babies had watched the luck of this favoured pioneer they made a bee-line for rexford and whilst the unsteady clutched his trousers as a support the older ones clung to his hands and his ears were assailed by a torrential lisping well i don't know he said smiling down at his exigent adorers here catch you infant pirates he flung a handful of small coins to them watched them scramble of course compensated the luckless and then walked on in search of his cigarettes he wondered for the hundredth time what fay would say to adopting a little kid for the fun of the thing and facing the truth to himself to give life that interest which it lacked for him yet not for an instant would he have dreamt of hinting at this idea it recurred again and again though whilst he loitered in the sunshine waiting for francesca and watched the apparently endless families possessed by every self-respecting spaniard disporting themselves in the warm dust some men are born with the protective instinct of paternity it is sufficiently rare to find a man who is not fond of children but there are men in whom this feeling is a profound quality and who stand in a finer relationship to life by reason of this quality than any other they possess in this category heredity and choice had placed rexford and his inclusion made him a good landlord a perfect uncle and a chivalrous soul and as well denied the fact as he might a dissatisfied man paradoxically the quality which spurred his nature to discontent was the very one which prevented his voicing that discontent for that protectiveness which was one of the strongest tenets of his creed was naturally a keenest influence with regard to francesca 
and whatever joy a certain course of action might afford tony he would never mention it to francesca because he knew quite well that it would hurt her however she might dissemble to him he was not a particularly unselfish man simply he loved his wife she was his own she came down on to the veranda now and waved to him with a white sunshade in the searching sunshine she looked about twenty-four in reality she was thirty-four but she had that extremely english complexion which seems neither to fade nor thicken and that hair which is like both ashes and gold palely golden hair she had always been called beautiful as a matter of fact she was an extremely pretty woman who was very beautifully cared for a woman who possessed the gift of appearance and who would have seemed chic had she been poor she was slender to the verge of thinness and dressed therefore to add to the first effect and conceal the latter rexford crossed to her and put up the white green-lined sunshade i've ordered the car francesca told him pulling on loose wash-leather gloves we'll go to the river don't you think and perhaps we might get a bath after lunch i've had our suits packed oh splendid rexford said the car came round as he spoke a touring car with the hood up because of the heat rexford always drove himself motoring in every detail was a passion with him and one of which he never tired when he was not in one of his cars he was probably about it or under it a pipe glued between his teeth and a hoarse hissing noise accompanying his labours the car was always alluded to with affection as she and her actions and virtues occupied much space in rexford's conversation the spanish tour had been partly and most enjoyably spent in tinkering up the quite perfect rolls each day after its trials and tribulations over the worst roads probably in europe all rexford's servants adored him carville the chauffeur who had it was understood passed intricate examinations in motor engineering would bridle with pleasure when rexford argued with him quite wrongly on some technical point and murmur yes my lord for the sheer pleasure of receiving his master's attention he settled in the back now whilst rexford took the wheel and after walking the car through the village children he let it out on the seville road as they rushed along francesca noticed that the aloe trees were in full flower they held themselves with dauntless upright splendour despite the menace of the dust occasionally a shrine was visible one shone out by reason of a wreath of orange blossom some worshipper had placed upon the cross where it glowed in the white sunshine like a living crown of stars oxen-drawn carts leisurely affairs which zigzagged about trailed peacefully along the road their drivers refusing with bovine obstinacy to hurry in spite of rexford's free speech the irate carville's infuriated adjuration and francesca's laughter it's so nice to slow up then one can really see things she explained to rexford whose face was set in lines of resigned yet savage irritation that expression common to those true motorists who get into a car for the purpose of getting out of it again in the shortest possible space of time and who expect nay demand that any obstruction in their road shall also get out likewise in record time 
to these ardent pacemakers the car as a vehicle for sightseeing for casual enjoyment of the summer breeze simply is not to them to slow down is a grievance to stop for any purpose save that of arrival anathema the orchestra of heaven might have played music of exultant sweetness above the bonnet but to such a car lover as rexford one rhythmic purr of a just-so engine would have been far more beautiful than any celestial strain and the cries of the tortured damned would have moved him far less than one squeak from a nut which needed oil francesca aware of this outlook made no effort to oppose it she knew better than to distract an absorbed mind by any allusion to the beauty of nature or to show a desire to discuss any topic save the going of the car upon their arrival at barasio when he had made a preliminary but searching inspection of the car tony would again become his usual pleasant self after he had in all probability delivered a spirited and abstruse monologue on the good behaviour of the car as evidenced by the drive touched lightly on any feat of steering afforded him by the obstructive and accursed traffic and generally given a technical word sketch of the engine's prowess at every milestone of the road he would ask francesca if she had not enjoyed the country through which they had passed this save for the isolated moments when a goat an ox or any two-footed equally infamous idiot bent apparently upon speedy suicide had held up their progress had been to francesca by reason of the amazing speed merely an indistinguishable blur of dust and green and yellow patches which custom and instinct had helped her to recognize as fields and which having due regard to the obligations of matrimony she had accepted as a view and would then dilate upon as charming scenery to tony to-day proved no exception to the rule tony got out helped francesca and instantly bent over the car in an attitude which displayed at once the excellent fit of his suit and enabled him to peer into the recesses of the engine carvel hovered about him and both men murmured darkly to one another francesca strolled into the hotel a little inn-like place with the same vine-covered veranda and pink walls and little stained tables as the pago place and ordered luncheon and in due course tony joined her clamouring as usual for a wash a drink and his food he came back to the veranda very shortly favoured francesca with his views on the drive as per schedule and then having filled his glass asked heartily enjoyed it old girl liked the scenery francesca mentioned the aloe trees the dust the shrine and tony grunted appreciably when he had finished an excellent lunch he suggested the car being now housed in a shed and its rest guarded by the faithful carvel that they should look over the place before driving out to the river for their swim they strolled together down the main street both smoking cigarettes francesca's hand linked in tony's elbow the street was silent ice-cool sun-hot as the houses let in the light or obstructed it like so many cordovan towns the place gave a strange impression of aloofness of chill half contemptuous indifference to modernity and its claims these towns seem never to lose entirely the effect of their ancient eastern rule a rule at once more subtle and more ruthless than any other it seems as if a faint imprint of that sinister influence still lingers 
there are still echoes of savage stifled feuds smothered cries inexorable yet hidden tyrannies trifling yet significant echoes of the century's dead omnipotence rum old place tony said as halting before the church of san pablo he stared up at it gravely shutting his eyes for an instant against the dazzling effect made by the sunshine striking the black and white tiles of the roof let's go in francesca said suddenly all right they threw away their cigarettes and tony pushed open a small door before it there hung a heavy leather curtain and as he held it for francesca to pass in it seemed to her as if a visible cool peace met her gently she sat just inside the church and tony stood behind her the sun was pouring through one small window and its spear of goldenness was thick inset with gorgeous green and scarlet and purple jewels from the coloured glass no one was in the church save their two selves it was very very dark and chill and austere and yet it seemed to francesca kindly Nearby was an altar to the virgin and francesca deciphered the words engraved on the stone railing behind which the candles burnt high and clear in the still air for those we love she slipped a hand into tony's pocket and took out some money and went across to the little shrine and bought candles and lit them tony watched her like every other man of his type he did not think much about religion indeed it is probable he never deliberately thought of it but he believed in it nevertheless he classed it inevitably in his mind with the stability of the empire to which he had the honour to belong and all enduring country things the soil freshness and rain but for one instant his eyes on francesca's bent slender form the faint mist of goldenness visible beneath her hat imagery touched his mind he went forward and knelt beside her remembering indistinctly and yet rather poignantly their marriage the child's death their home their life together francesca smiled at him and he put an arm about her and drew her up out in the sunshine back to normality again he gave a quick sigh he was grateful for normality and the sunshine and the lizard strolling for once in francesca's direction let's get a move on shall we he asked he glanced at francesca as he walked beside her the day had held one or two pretty stiff moments their talk that morning then this church business he said i say fay we shall have to celebrate to-night you know get some decent champagne from somewhere and you must tug up old girl do your damnedest francesca understood exactly why he seemed rather more robustly ordinary than usual she agreed to his suggestions gaily and by the time they reached the inn tony had lost his sense of little shadows as she had fully meant he should do they raced off again of course this time in the direction of the river which at the pace they went they reached most speedily it glittered gorgeously before them shining like a chain of emeralds set in silver unfortunately however the bank afforded no shelter at all though they ran along it for some miles then in the distance a rough tent appeared that'll do tony said we'll pay em to let us use it but upon arrival the tent proved to be empty though a litter of household things and a string of washing outside testified to the fact it had been occupied that morning tony peered in it's all right he said withdrawing his head bit of a frost but you needn't be in there long 
cut on in now and if any one turns up before you're ready i'll speak em fair francesca slid out of her clothes very swiftly and into her bathing suit she stepped on to the sand which struck hot through her sandals just as tony plunged into the water and shouted to her that it was topping icy cold ripping he swam magnificently he was already far downstream by the time francesca had made a dozen strokes a bridge a rough stone affair low bending uneven crossed the river a few hundred yards away tony had nearly reached it when francesca heard him shout and saw him dive come up and dive again and then she saw on the bridge rocking herself in frenzy of emotion a woman and a moment later the whole episode was one of two minutes perhaps tony reappeared his fair head close to another smaller head swimming overhand and making for the bank francesca swam in too and ran towards him catching up her bathing wrap as she ran tony was already on his knees beside a child a mere baby of two or three and was attempting artificial respiration francesca knew the movements she too knelt down and helped to work the tiny arms she was conscious as the blinding sunshine fastened on her back like a blister of an incessant noise and once she looked up and saw the baby's mother weeping uncontrollably and between her sobs imploring each saint by name to save her little one and a youth expostulating swearing sobbing too standing beside her not much good fraid tony gasped at last straightening up a little and thrusting back the hair from his forehead bad luck indeed hoped we'd save the poor little beggar and just then the baby opened the greenest eyes francesca had ever seen and smiled deliberately at tony meeting his glance with a sort of steady delight seeming by that radiant smile to acknowledge his help and make further claim on him in one tony sat back and roared with laughter and francesca bent over the baby and worked on it again until it protested unsmilingly and vehemently the parents came forward and burst into ecstatic thanks to which tony mumbled self-consciously all right all right his voice seemed to have a restraining influence on the baby which had been crying stormily in its mother's arms it stopped as he spoke and again that gorgeous green-eyed smile appeared made especially for tony smiled only at tony you rum little devil he said to it and to fay i say it's rather a jolly baby what she recognizes her rescuer she knows you anyway tony francesca answered do you know i believe she does tony said what's her name he asked the mother dolores juana senor is it by jove well he advanced and lifted one tiny hand well dolores juana here's to a future meeting the mother urged him with a languishing glance and dolores played her trump card she smiled tony grinning a little kissed her of course francesca had seen him kiss children before as men do kiss them rather solemnly and with a countenance expressive of relief when the deed is well accomplished but somehow seeing tony looking as he looked at the moment absurdly boyish with his hair still ruffled from the water and clad in his bathing suit an indescribable sensation stirred in her heart it was as if something had closed down on it and holding it captive forced it forward to accept a realization 
in that instant without quite knowing that she did so yet aware of its advent in her mind she presaged the future all that happened after that golden afternoon was but a fulfilment of that first intuition the sway exercised by that sixth sense faded quickly francesca bade farewell to the mother kissed the baby too tony plunged into the river and swam to the car in half an hour they were ready as francesca turned to leave the tent the habitual dwelling-place it appeared of the parents of dolores juana she heard tony's voice in obvious converse with the lady of the smile herself his conversation consisted of alternate hellos and rum little devils with laughter at frequent intervals overtures to friendship much appreciated by the baby apparently since francesca could hear a funny little chuckle and when she went out of the tent found dolores juana seated comfortably on tony's knee gripping the lapel of his blazer and nearly asleep her eyes closed as francesca appeared tony looked up with an expression of amused questioning rather done me this time he whispered francesca stood above the two of them and again that bitter contraction of her heart made her wince oh don't bother she said in a voice she forced to be light i'll call the mother we'll start for home i think it's been rather a strenuous afternoon hasn't it she was sickeningly aware that tony's seraphic expression changed to one of apologetic anxiety he rose to his feet instantly holding the baby as carefully as he could and walked towards the mother and gave it into her arms the girl curtsied and broke into a torrent of exaggerated gratitude but the young husband scowled francesca called i'm ready tony carville brought the car nearer tony thrust a hand into a pocket and drew out a note he pushed it very gently into the baby's hand you get her something he said to the mother good-bye the father softened by the contemplation of tony's gift asked with the ready effusion of the skilled idler to whom pleasantness is an asset the signor is of course a father one sees how he loves children francesca heard tony say no i have no children and instantly the mother of dolores broke into a torrent of commiseration checked suddenly by the inspiration that the senor and his lovely senora might perhaps be on their honeymoon tony's confession of the actual celebration of the day brought a murmur of wonder of concern it all seemed to francesca grotesquely arch and yet painful then distinctly she heard the young man say the senor should adopt a little one and at once tony's head veered round a little way in francesca's direction she could see his face and the dark smiling face of the other man and dolores juana smiling tony was speaking she could not hear what he said but she knew oh she knew end of chapter one part one of almond blossom by olive wansley recording by maricel Quee.